0: Welcome to Houser Community Church Online. Let's join pastor as the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts and unpacks the Word of God for us. After the message, we'll tell you how to contact us.
1: Oh, Heavenly Father, You're sovereign, You're holy, You're merciful, You're mighty, Lord. And to You alone we worship We praise you, Lord. We're humbled to be called your children. Jesus, we praise you as the king of the ages, the immortal one, invisible, the only God. To you be honor and glory forever and ever. Lord, we ask that you would forgive us. It's against you that we have sinned. We don't love you with our whole hearts and our whole might and our whole soul lord we're often distracted we're often distracted from glorifying you from obeying your commands and and god we pray continually as as david prayed in psalm 51 that you would create in us a clean heart and that you would renew a right spirit within us jesus we thank you for your mercy we thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your perfect patience with us. That your spirit in us is making us look more and more like you. And we owe all of that to you. Lord, we ask that you would work in the bodies of those who are sick and, and hurting. We ask that you would bring healing, that you would bring healing not only for our sake, Lord more importantly, for your glory. Lord, we ask for those whom whom you choose not to heal, that you would give them strength, that you would give them endurance. Lord, we trust every decision that comes from you. We also want to lift up now in this time those who have been kidnapped in Haiti, Lord. We just know that they were doing your will there to expand your kingdom, and evil hates that. So we ask, Lord, that you would deliver them. We ask that you would bring them home safely, but in the, in the meantime, Lord, as they are in captivity, that you would use them to expand your kingdom. Just as you used Paul in, in prison, Lord, would you use them? Would you strengthen them? Would you help them to remember that their hope is in you and you alone? I thank you that you are with them, Lord. And we ask that you would work a miracle. Lord, we pray this morning for this body of believers that were gathered here in this building, gathered online with us, Lord, that you would move in a mighty way. God, we ask that you would revive our hearts Revive our minds, that you would fill us with your spirit more and more so that we minister to those around us by your power. Lord, we ask that you would awaken the sleeper this morning, that you would burden the proud, that you would strengthen the weak, that you would convict the sinner. God, we ask that you would create among us in, in this building leaders and pastors and elders and deacons and missionaries and godly bosses and employees. Lord, make us a light to the nations. Create in us a desire to devote ourselves to prayer as we see in the text today, to unity as, as the body of Christ, to, to carrying one another's burdens. Lord, we submit ourselves to you today, and we ask that you would move in great power, that you would save the lost this morning. Holy Spirit, give give me strength to proclaim your word to your people this morning. As you have spoken to me, I ask that you would speak to them in your precious name. Amen. All right, kiddos, you are released The rest of you, if you are not already there, please turn to Acts chapter 1, looking at verses 12 through 26. If you don't have a Bible, there's one around you. Like I say every week, if you don't have one at all, please take that Bible or go to the lost and found and find one you like better there. Good morning, church. Maybe I've used this story before, but it illustrates well what what we're going to be looking at. Back in 2009, I was, I was stationed in South Korea, so I was in uh, Kunsan, which is way down south, and uh, Nikki was nine months pregnant, and, and her and Caden were living in... Hawaii, because of the tour that I was on, you weren't able to take your, your family with you, so they got to, they had to suffer in Hawaii while I was in South Korea with her parents. Um, and I, I planned my, my leave, my military leave, to go home around the time of her, her um, giving birth to Jackson, so uh, about a week before and two weeks after, so I thought, you know, that, that should work. And, um, and then I get a call that she's in labor. And I'm still in South Korea, and so I start to pray, and I'm waiting, and, and then they get to the hospital, I get another call, and it goes, it goes something like this. It comes from Nikki's dad. Hey, Greg, I just, I wanted you to know that Nikki's having an emergency C-section. Uh, Jackson's in distress. He needs to be taken out immediately. Um, there's not a lot of cell phone service in, in the hospital, so I'm running in and out, and I'm going to call you when I get an update, but uh, I have to go. I love you. Bye. So I'm alone in my dorm room, 4,578.884 miles away, and can do nothing but wait and pray. I hit, my, I hit my knees, my wife, my, my son, they're, they're miles away and I can do nothing but pray. Call out to the Lord. And then I get the next call. Greg, they've removed Jackson. It, they're treating him in ICU. He's going to be fine. But Nikki's lost a lot of blood. They're treating her now, mom's with her, she's going to be fine, he's very optimistic. Caden's at home with aunt and uncle and keep praying, we love you. I hit my knees again and all I could do 4,000 miles away is cry out, Lord, I trust you, deliver my wife. Deliver my son, and I wait, and I wait, and I just wait for the Lord to move. Obviously, everything went well. Nikki's in the back. Jackson's right here. But church, it's, it's in those moments, when, and we're, we all have moments that we have to wait. It's, it's in that moment for me I realized I, I am completely dependent on God. I can do nothing. I can change zero hearts in this room. I can, I can change zero medical conditions. I'm completely dependent on the Lord. And there's times in every one of our lives where we have to wait on the Lord. He calls us to wait on Him, to hold on, to trust in Him. It's in those moments that we have to remain faithful to Him. So today we're going to look at what that looks like. What does it look like to be faithful in waiting, in obedience, faithful in waiting in unity with other believers, faithful in, in prayer, faithful in hard times, and faithful in ministry, all in the context of while we wait for the Lord. So we'll look first at faithfulness and in obedience, if you will, look at Acts 1, verses 12 and 13. It says, Then they returned, the disciples returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which was near Jerusalem, about a Sabbath day's journey. That's about an hour walk, so not too long. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, and Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. So as we saw last week, Jesus tells them, he commands his disciples, they, he, he appears to them, he's resurrected, and then he ascends into heaven, he says, but I want you to go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And they do. He says, if you remember, um, Jerusalem is the center of all that God has been doing up to that moment. He's been working in in his people in Israel. That's where his presence was. And he says, I want you to go back to Jerusalem. And then the Holy Spirit's going to come. And then you can go and be disciples to all the nations. And he's making this significant statement here about the kingdom of God. He's saying, he told them earlier in Luke 24... Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this new thing. I'm, we're going to expand the kingdom, but I need you to go to Jerusalem. That is where it's going to start. That's where it was always supposed to start. It's in this command we see Jesus is fulfilling through Israel what they were supposed to fulfill but failed to do. We know in Isaiah 49, 6, the Lord said, Is is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob to bring back the preserved of Israel? I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. He's fulfilling that promise. Is it too light a thing, he says, for God to move through his people to be a light to the nations? And here in chapter 1 in Acts, he's saying, go back to Jerusalem, we're going to start this. Just wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to come. And we, just see this, we see that the disciples are faithful to his command. Then they return to Jerusalem, verse 12. They do what they're told to do. I mean, but we have to ask, how could they do that? How could they return to the city that just crucified their Lord? How could they return to the city that more than likely they'd be persecuted, could have been imprisoned? They're faithful in obedience because they believe Jesus is the Messiah. They believe he is who he says he is. That He had proven himself in his actions. He he healed with great power. His words were spoken with authority like no one has ever spoken before. In his death, he paid for sin. In his resurrection, he defeated death. In his ascension, he was seated at the right hand of the Father. They believe this. So they can walk back into Jerusalem knowing he is who he says he is. We believe that so they could be faithful in obedience. They could be faithful in obedience because by faith they look forward to his promise. In verse 8, he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. He doesn't say, um, We'll see what happens. Head back, we'll see if it works out. It might happen. He says, it will happen. And a pastor once said uh, faith is, is not believing in God, it's believing God. It's taking him at his word. He says, This is what I'm gonna do. Faith says, Okay. I believe you, 100%. I believe you. And the disciples had faith that Jesus would do what he said he would do because he had always done what he said he was going to do. And this also comes from them just knowing the word of God, being immersed in the word of God. They know in Isaiah it says, But they who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They will walk and not be faint. They know if we go and we wait, we're going to renew our strength in the Lord. They know, Isaiah continues, he says, those who wait shall not be put to shame. If we go, they say, and we wait for the Lord, we know he's going to accomplish what he promises. We will not be put to shame. Again, in Joel You shall shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God. There is none else. And my people shall never be put to shame. This ignites their faith. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I'm going to do it because he said he's going to do this. I'm not going to be put to shame. I trust him. They could also be faithful because they saw the role that they were playing in God's grand narrative of redemption. From the very beginning, he's been redeeming his people, and they see as the disciples, as the apostles who had been with Christ for years, that they know the role that he has called them to. They would be witnesses of Jesus in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. In Christ, they saw their part in redeeming not only Israel, but all of the nations. And you and I, church, were called to obedience. We're called to be faithful to the commands of God, to be obedient to His commands. So, do you know Jesus as Messiah in such a way that it, it moves you to obey what He's saying? You say to do this, I don't get it, Lord, but I believe you are who you say you are. Is your faith growing in such a way that you act in obedience, knowing Jesus' promises are as good as accomplished? If he says this is going to happen, I know I can move forward in obedience because he will accomplish it. Do you know the Word of God in such a way that you understand what your role in the plan of redemption actually looks like? When you see the plan of God unfolding and you understand I'm part of the story that He's telling and I'm part of the story as He's redeeming His people, then you move forward in obedience. You know I'm part of something much bigger, I'm part of this eternal plan of salvation. You start to understand, I'm not just saved to be taken into heaven one day. I've actually been saved to inherit the earth with Christ. To be co-heirs with Jesus Christ. To shine the kingdom light to the darkness around me. To participate with Jesus in delivering the lost through the power of his spirit in me and in the church. That's exciting. And we don't have to do this alone. We see what he's doing. We do this together. We move. We're, we're called to be faithful in obedience, but we're called to be faithful in unity also. Look at the text, verse 14. All these... With one accord, we're devoting themselves to prayer. The closest to Jesus. He says, you go back to Jerusalem and you wait. And they don't go back to all these individual apartments and hang out and just twiddle their thumbs. They get together and they encourage each other. And they pray together. They were together with one accord. That doesn't mean they were in a Honda. That means they were in one accord. It can be translated with one mind together. They were moving in the same direction together. They were focused on one single goal. They were focused on the mission that Jesus Christ gave to them. The mission we know very well. Go, therefore. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, the end of the age. We see this unity and prayer. And this points out the fundamental unity of the church. The early church, but that's the church today also. Jesus prayed for unity in John 17. I don't ask for these only. He's talking about his disciples. I don't only ask for them, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. What is he asking? That they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus prayed for our unity, prayed that we'd be united together so that the world would know that he was sent, Pray that we, he wants us to be united with him. Paul called for unity also. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. That together you may be one voice, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's one of the greatest needs of the church. Unity. We are plagued with disunity. Plagued with it. And in disunity... Not only do we become useless for the kingdom of God because people look at the church and they say, why do I want to be part of something that's tearing itself apart? We also are hindering through our growth, but those who would come into the kingdom through us, through our witness, through our unity, looking at us and saying, why do these people get together and how can they even agree disunity works against the gospel our desire at hauser is always to bring us together that's why we have a mission statement a vision statement we want to be united in one direction heading in one direction as a church we want to know Christ and make him known. You should, you should know that's what our mission and our vision statement is. That's what we want to do. We want you to know Christ. We want to know Christ together. We want to make Christ known to everyone around us. United on what, what the Lord has called us to do. It's why I write questions for the bulletin and say, "Get into small groups. Get into small groups." Because I want us to be united in what we're learning, headed in the same direction. This is why we use the Gospel Project for Sunday school for kids, teens, and adults, so that we're learning the same thing and moving in the same direction. This is why I want you to gather and do life together. Why we ask for you to put your prayers on a card and put them in the box so that we could be united in praying together. Church, if we're going to be effective for the kingdom of God, then we have to be united. If we're all doing our own thing the way that we want to do our own thing, then the local churches, the growth is stunted in the church. Personally, I have a problem of doing a thousand projects at the same time and never really perfecting one of them. So that's what happens when we're all going our way as a church. We're not doing anything really well. But if we work together and how we are working, it says we are working to attain, this is Ephesians 4, to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to fullness of Christ. If all the disciples would have went their way, then the nations wouldn't have been reached. We have to be united in Christ. And in this obedience and in this unity, we have to be faithful in prayer. So look at verse 14 again. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. As they wait on the Lord faithfully, the disciples devote themselves to prayer. Waiting isn't a passive thing. We don't have to just twiddle our thumbs and stare at a blank wall and wait for God to do something. Someone once wrote, to wait is not merely to remain impassive. It is to expect To look for with patience and also with submission. It's to long for, but not impatiently. It's to rest for, but not fret at the delay. To watch for, but not restlessly. To feel that if God does not come, we will acquiesce. And yet to refuse to let the mind acquiesce in the feeling that he will not come. It's not passive. It's waiting on the Lord, but crying out to him, proclaiming his word back to him, devoting, we are, as a church, to be devoted in prayer, to wait, we are waiting for Jesus' return, we're waiting for our lives to be sanctified, we're waiting for the kingdom of God to come in our lives and in our communities and in our world as it is in heaven. But in doing so, we're to rejoice in hope, Be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Not passive, constant in prayer. Continuing steadfastly in prayer. Being watchful in all with thanksgiving. You see, in, in prayer we're admitting, as I was admitting when I was awaiting in Korea, and my wife is having... Jackson it's admitting we're not in control, but believing that God is, that he can actually do something. And by faith, we pray God's promises back to him. We pray, Lord, you, you promised that all who call upon your name will be saved, so would you save the lost? Lord, you promised that you would rule until all your enemies were made a footstool under your feet. Would you come? Would you continue turning the nations towards you? Lord, you promised that we know that for those who love God in all things, work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom you no Lord, you predestined to be conformed into your image, Lord. You are making me look like you. You promised that. Would you work this sin out of my life? Would you make me love others like you love them in order that You might be the firstborn among many brothers and those whom you predestined you called and those whom you called you justify and those who you justify you glorify. So Lord, work that process in my life. You promise to do so in your word. In prayer we're admitting we're not in control but God is. So to what end are you praying? The disciples were praying for the coming of the Holy Spirit. The disciples were praying that the gospel of Jesus Christ would go out to the nations. Are you praying the Lord's will? Do you even know how to pray the Lord's will? If you want to know how to pray, you need to know the man, Jesus Christ. You need to know his word. You need to know his family. and We need to help each other do that. Remember who we are. Remember what it looks like. They didn't all I don't think they all went into this upper room and just knocked prayer out of the park. I don't think they all went in this upper room and were even confident in what's going on. I think they had to work together. That's why he said, "Y'all go uh, back to Jerusalem." All of you together. That's why I put you together. Are you persisting in prayer? Are we persisting in prayer as a church? In your life, in in your trials in life, in your hard times, are you devoting yourself to prayer? Are you devoting yourself to prayer for the mission of the church? Are you praying with other believers? Is your small group persisting in prayer? Did you know we meet every Sunday morning at 8.30 to pray for this service, for this week? Without prayer, church, we are only striving to accomplish the impossible by ourselves. It would have been foolish for the 12 apostles to skip the prayer piece and start talking to people about Jesus. They would have been dead in six hours, probably. Probably. God has to do the impossible. It's through obedience to the Lord, unity of the body, devotion to prayer that we're able to be faithful in hard times. This is where it gets a little weird. I'm glad Randy read this. He always gets the fun passages. In those days, verse 15, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was about 120 And he said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. You know, as they're praying, it's revealed to Peter, they need to deal with this Judas situation, they had to be broken hearted. They had to be pretty upset about what happened with Judas. Um, he was with them for three years. He was a, a brother. He ministered with them. He was an apostle of Jesus Christ. I just want to quickly encourage you, if you're struggling, if you're bitter with someone, struggling with forgiveness, uh, deal with it immediately. If not, it's going to eat away at your growth in ministry. I don't think that's the point here in this text, but it is certainly a good reminder. But as they're praying, Peter, he knows, I need to deal, we need to deal with this, this situation. But they're able to deal with this hard time because he's shown that brothers, he says in verse 16, Scripture had to be fulfilled. He's reminded God is sovereign. This had to happen. We know that Jesus had to die. We know that he needed to be betrayed. It should remind us of Joseph in in Egypt where he's betrayed by his brother and he says at the end of his life, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. The same is reflected in Christ. He had to be betrayed. Evil had to happen against him so that God could bring about good, so many people could be kept alive through the gospel. What greater solace is there in knowing that the plans of God cannot be overturned? That he works out his plan. What amazing confidence do we have, church, in difficult situations where things are not turning out like we thought they should turn out, and where we've been deeply betrayed, but we know that all things are working out for good for God's people. What great confidence do we have in prayer in those times? The disciples are also reminded that they're um, in their waiting that the Lord will take care of vengeance. They didn't need to brew in hate. They didn't need to brew in anger and unforgiveness. We see it's, it's shown, they recap Judas' um, plight. <laughs> he was numbered among us. He was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man, Judas, acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness. So this is what he got for turning um, away from God for betraying God for falling away he fell headlong and burst open in the middle with all the bowels gushing out it's been come to known in the inhabitants of Jerusalem the field was called in their own language which was Aramaic that is the field of blood why do we need to know that why does Peter uh, quote these two obscure passages about replacing him? It's almost like he just grabs two um, passages out of the, uh, the Psalms and says, yeah, we need to replace um, Judas because it says in some random location his camp is desolate and in another one, let another take his office. And he's quoting Psalm 69 and he's quoting Psalm 109 and it, if we're reading quickly, it doesn't really make sense why he would grab those. But in both of those psalms, it's saying that the the righteous one has been betrayed and God deals with it. And a righteous one needs to take their position. And as Peter's meditating and as as he's praying and the Lord reveals this to him, that yes, I took care of the betrayer and now you need to install someone in his place. And the release of anger, it's, it's life-giving church. They didn't need to stew in it. They didn't need to hey, hate uh, Judas. We need to remember vengeance is not ours. God says vengeance is mine. I will repay. You focus on the mission. You focus on telling others the kingdom. So in hard times, times of betrayal, times of suffering, we need to devote ourselves to prayer and unity and obedience and allow the Lord to move. And this serves as a warning. Have I turned aside from following the Lord? We see in verse 25 in chapter 1, um, to take The place in this ministry, the apostleship, from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. Uh, Just like we see in Deuteronomy, Israel turns aside and they they follow after another, they make golden calves. Um, Judas turns aside from following the Lord, and what he gets is not happiness, it's not fulfillment. He gets guilt and shame, and he falls headlong and bursts open in the middle, and his bowels gush out. That he gets nothing. His reward is the field of blood where he died. That's what he wanted, and that's what he got. And if we chase sin, that's what we're chasing after an empty field that's killing us. So, this serves as a warning. If you turned aside, if you have, repent, follow Jesus. There's grace and mercy in Jesus Christ. No other thing, no other person is going to satisfy. Jesus has to be your all in all. But in the grand scheme of the plan of redemption, Judas' death had to be dealt with. The 12 apostles had to be restored to the number 12 because they would have seen themselves as leaders of the renewed Israel. They know that Israel and the 12 tribes turned from the Lord. They know that Jesus is installing 12 apostles for the reason of renewing Israel. This is why it's so important for them. This is why Jesus says in Matthew 19.28, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. We think, well, that's not happening. But we saw the ascension. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And we see that he's called the 12 tribes to take the gospel to the nations, to Israel. So the apostles see themselves as part of God, Jesus bringing together the once separated Israel. They've been separated since the Assyrian uh, captivity in 722 BC, if you need that date. We don't see that northern kingdom at all for 700 years. 700 and yeah, almost 800 years. And here he's saying, I'm bringing Israel back together in the 12 tribes so that you can go and fulfill what I called you to do in the very beginning. So they had to replace Judas. It was their position as apostles. They were seated on, church. they were teaching what they would have used to shape the, the early church. This is why the requirements. Are so strenuous, and why we need to be faithful in ministry. The apostles are faithful to what they're called to do. They go, they wait, they restore a leader because they know we're, we're the leaders of restored, renewed Israel. And we need someone with us. Look at verse 21. One of the men who had accompanied us during all the time that Jesus, the Lord Jesus, went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. They are to take the place, verse 25, in ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside. So they were able, they needed someone to meet that requirement. Each of the 12 apostles were uniquely qualified. We don't have any apostles left um, today. These are the 12 apostles. These are the guys that that established the foundation of the early church. They were all witnesses of Jesus' life. His his teaching, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. They were there for all of it. They knew what he was teaching. And they taught how Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament scripture. The promised Messiah. How all scripture flowed to him and from him. Because he showed them and they were to go show the nations. They were faithful to replace one of the 12. We see in the last part of this, they know the requirements. They they did it through prayer. They do it through casting of lots. That doesn't mean we can go and roll dice every time we need to make a decision. It's not some fatalistic dice game. It was was a method used before the coming of the Holy Spirit to determine the will of God. I'm not going to get into it. You can look it up. But this is the last time we see it. Because we don't need it anymore. We don't need casting of lots anymore. We have the Holy Spirit to guide us. But now, today's Christian, we don't have the same ministry as the 12 apostles. That's not who we are. That's who they were. They were called specifically for that. But we are to follow their lead. We are to install leaders Uh, who prove themselves faithful, who've been prayed over, who are being led by the Holy Spirit. We're to live out our individual callings, our ministries. We're all called small-a apostles, which means sent ones. Every one of us are sent into the nations. We're to tell our neighbors, our church, our workplaces, our family, our friends, the stores we go into of the good news of Jesus Christ. We're to remain faithful to that ministry. We're to remain faithful to the ministry at Hauser Community Church by installing leaders and, and being united in mission and being united in prayer, by finding and following the ministry that you've been called to, By going into the world and making disciples. And I think, I think too often the church acts like we're still waiting in the upper room. Like we bogged down in verse 13. They went and they entered and they went up the upper room where they're staying. And we're good with being together and we're good with devoting ourselves to prayer. But this is a season for them. Because then they were to go. They were to do something after this. They were waiting for God to do something. They were waiting for the Spirit to come, and when He did, they left. We're not stuck in the upper room. We're actually indwelled by the Spirit if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. We have to go. We're called to share the gospel, to proclaim the kingdom, to love those people around us, all people around us, to serve people around us. So, yeah, we are waiting for the return of Christ, but in that time, we're called to remain faithful in obedience, in unity, in prayer, in hard times and in ministry. That's what faithfulness looks like, fulfilling the great commission. So church, let's make disciples. Let's make disciples. Let's teach them and teach each other all that Jesus commanded by the power of the Spirit of God in us. Let's pray. Lord, we we praise you. I just thank you that we can look at this word and see what seems like this obscure passage about waiting and strange happenings with Judas and casting of lots and installing twelve. And we think, well, that was great for them and But Lord, through this, we see that you're moving, that you're moving your people, that you installed 12 apostles to to go and, and initiate the early church so that all of the nations could be reached. Father, through you sending your son, you are redeeming your people. You're making all things new. And I pray that we don't get stuck in just waiting around. I pray we, we devote ourselves to prayer and unity, but we go. We all need your help, Lord, and Holy Spirit. Would you guide us? Would you strengthen us? Would you go before us? In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>
0: Thank you for joining us at Hauser Community Church Online. Check back next week for the next unpacking of the Word of God. Please feel free to contact us with any questions you might have about the message or for pastor at area code 541-756-2591 or email us at pray at hauserchurch.org. Again, that's P-R-A-Y at H-A-U-S-E-R-C-H-U-R-C-H dot O-R-G. Our address is 69411 Wildwood Road, North Bend, Oregon, 97459. Remember, if you're seeking the truth, it will set you free. And that truth is Jesus Christ.